Hey everybody, welcome to Trek in Time. This is the podcast that takes a look at Star Trek in order and in history. We're watching all the episodes of Star Trek in chronological order, which means we are currently in the second season of Enterprise, which are the oldest stories in the Trek universe. We're also taking a look at how things were at the time of original broadcast. So we're also looking at things from 2002, which seems like should be just a few months ago, but here we are 22 years past the change of the millennium. Oh boy, I'm old. <laughs> yes. But who am I? I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I write some things for kids. And with me is my brother, Matthew. He is the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Matt, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Just trying to hold on as we start a new year. Before we get started, don't forget there's ways to directly support the podcast beyond listening and subscribing. You can go to trekintime.show. There's a way to support the podcast directly there. You can also, if you're on YouTube, scroll down below the video and you will find the join button. Whatever way you're able to support us, even if it's just by listening and sharing, we greatly appreciate all of that really does help the channel. Matt, I understand you've got some listener comments from previous episodes that you yes. want to share. Yes, I do. Uh, one from the episode Minefield, which was referencing our discussion about how Vulcans might not recognize the origins of the Romulans because they came head to head with the Romulans. And I asked the question of like, how would T'Pol not recognize some of the language commonalities between the two? And uh, Sunspot42 made this uh, statement. Many, maybe Romulans don't communicate in their native language, but in some kind of Unicode in part to hide their Vulcan or origins. Just because the Vulcans don't know who the Romulans really are doesn't mean that the Romulans don't know who the Vulcans really are. And I really like that. Yeah, That's I thought that really was pretty cool, cool because yeah. in all of the Star Trek, Romulans are portrayed as being very distrustful and they're spy-oriented and they try to keep themselves like cloaked in the shadows. And it's like that kind of fits into that motif of maybe they're fully aware of who the Vulcans are because they splintered off, but they are yeah. hiding their true identity to keep the Vulcans in the dark. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That's really neat. Yeah. The other comment was about the A Night in Sick Bay, which I know Sean really did not like that episode. Yeah, um, I didn't care for it. Yeah. Mako put long comment talking about all the stupid things that he saw in that episode. And there was like a couple of them that I kind of wanted to call out, like one of them. It was his stupid things. Number three, sitting in a decontamination room and simply applying gel on each other prevents any bacteria, virus or et cetera coming on board the ship. Unless it's inside the body, but that never happens. And I thought that was so great because it's like, I had never yeah. even thought about that. Like they're in a decon chamber, always lubing each other up. And it's like, how is this actually stopping anything? It's like, if yeah. you inhaled something and you're sick, yeah. uh, hello, COVID, it doesn't make sense why that is the, the means of decontaminating each other. The last thing he mentioned, which was along the same lines of both of us. On the other hand, there is the doctor and his acting, which I think saves this episode from being a total disaster. Let's just put this episode aside and hope the next one is better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he clearly agreed with you on his take on the, the episode, but I just loved yeah. his stupid thing number three. It never even crossed my mind. It just was, I find that whole decontamination chamber intriguing, but the way it's executed, I just find it distasteful because it's there for sexing up the show. It's just to yeah. see people half naked lubing each other up. But yeah. I love how he just broke it down and was like, this makes zero scientific sense as to what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're rubbing each other down and then they step out of the decon chamber and just cough in each other's faces and then <laughs> go their separate ways. <laughs> yes. Like, like, excuse me, what? How did that work? 
So today we're going to be talking about the episode the seventh, which is the seventh episode of the season and planned, not planned. I don't know, but makes it easy to remember the name of the episode. Matt, you want to give us a quick synopsis? This is a very quick synopsis. Yes, uh, it T'Pol, is. T'Pol is dispatched by the Vulcan High Command to capture a fugitive who has eluded the authorities for nearly two decades. Pretty much hits Succinct. all of the high points. Yes. Yes. This episode is directed by David Livingston. It was written by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. And it episode... <laughs> and it aired... On November 6, 2002, I have been telling Matt this week, my brain is mush. <laughs> it has been a long year. It was a challenging holiday season. And as we enter 2022, I find me not think so good, me not think so straight. <laughs> so please bear along as I grapple with saying simple sentences like this episode aired on November 6, 2002. And it had 4.82 million viewers, which is down from the previous week, which I think is a shame because, spoiler, I really like this episode. Mm. But you're all wondering, what was the world like when this episode aired? Well, early November 2002, we were enjoying Underneath It All by No Doubt. One of the first songs to come up in this podcast that not only do I remember that it exists, but I still occasionally listen to it and still think it's a good song. So <laughs> interesting little turn of events there. The opposite is true with the movie this week, which was The Santa Claus 2. It made $29 million and poof, thank you. <laughs> Matt, do you still watch your Blu-ray copy of Santa Claus 2? I watch it every weekend, Sean. Mm, except at Christmas. Except at Christmas, yes. Right. And this week on CSI Watch, 27 million viewers. <laughs> We're going to have CSI in the most watched category for a while. So hold on, folks. And in the news from the New York Times, this episode airing on the Wednesday after Election Day in the U.S. in 2002, which is the first federal election after 2001's attack on 9-11, saw the president, President Bush, gaining control of the Senate the GOP re retook the Senate in a sign of presidential influence. At the time, there was a really strong push behind President Bush. The unifying event of 9-11 gave him a lot of power. And the Senate control going to him meant that he controlled both houses. And along with his election, Governor Pataki, a Republican, won New York. And the president's brother, Jeb Bush, won the governorship in Florida. And this, to cast an eye much further forward, put Jeb Bush on the short list of people who were expected to run for president in the future and potentially would win the presidency in the future. The Bush family was seen at this point as particularly strong politically. So on to the episode, the seventh. We find out because of a covert message that is sent to T'Pol that T'Pol is being given a special assignment. And right out of the gate in this episode, T'Pol shows up after getting this message. We see her in her quarters at the beginning of the episode, reading what looks like probably poetry or philosophy of some sort. We see some Vulcan writing 
I thought that was a really nice way of then when she sits down at her computer and she gets the message from the computer and we see the same type of writing Mm -hmm. of signifying like this is this is from her world. This is not through main channels. And she gets a message to basically say, we found him. And I really liked that the next moment is her going to Archer and asking for help in getting to a specific spot in space, being given a pilot and a shuttlecraft and not being able to talk about it. What did you think about the scene that followed her getting the assignment? I thought it was a really good scene because it was, it showed the conflict she was having. She's also been a Vulcan that we've seen that struggles with her emotions more than other Vulcans. And so it was nice to see this like struggle she was having with this command she was given. And you could tell that she wanted to give the captain more information, but just really couldn't. She just didn't want to talk about it necessarily, but also was under strict orders not to. And it kind of led into the whole thing of like, I don't know how far ahead you want to jump here in the conversation, but like, I think you should jump as far forward as you need to. The whole, when she actually asks the captain to come along and it's clearly not authorized, he's not supposed to be there. The captain is basically, you know, she's basically saying, please, I just need you there. And he just, as a friend is saying to her, yes, I'll I'll go with you. And he doesn't even tell Trip what's going on because he knows that this is something that's very serious for T'Pol. And so he's just going to play along and follow her lead. And so he's not even confiding in his best friend as to what they're going there for. I thought yeah. that was a really nice, there's a little tension because you could tell Trip was hurt. Like, yeah. come on, why are you, why are you telling me? But he's just, you can tell the captain's just, when he makes a promise, he's going to stick to that promise. He goes, I can't tell you. Just if anybody tries to find me, stall them. Don't tell them I'm with her because like this could get things in a bad situation. I just, I like the way the whole thing was set up of how she knew she needed some kind of emotional support, somebody that she could really truly trust and leaned on the captain. Because this is, this is where I feel like the whole show has been trying to build is that relationship yeah. between the two of them, show that there's a real true bond, that they really trust each other. And this was like the first time, I, I think, that the show really is paying off on that, that friendship that's building between the two of them. Yeah, it, it feels very much like one of the goals of this was to, without it being about Kirk and Spock, yes. show how can two people from such different cultures forge that kind of trusting relationship. And this episode felt like a huge payoff for a lot of little moments that have happened over the past full season and the first few weeks of season two. And I think especially in here in season two, they've kind of like cranked it up a little bit mm-hmm. to the moment that they earned in this episode with right at the beginning, Archer's response to the request from the Vulcans, he responds to it with humor. He yes. doesn't respond to it with defensiveness. If this episode had taken place in the first season, he would have been defensive about it. At this mm-hmm. point, he's kind of taken on an air of like, are you kidding me? Really? Like again, mm-hmm. like we're being kept in the dark again. And it all starts with a very humus, humorous way of, of her revealing. She walks in and says, later this afternoon, you will get a call from Admiral Forrest. And his response of like, how do you know what I'm going to get? later today like how Mm -hmm. do you come to this moment and him trying to get more information but doing it in a way of like let me guess you can't tell me okay no problem okay Mm -hmm. dismissed and it's this very kind of 
all right, I'm a little exhausted by all this, but I'm taking it in stride. And then you see the same thing from the rest of the crew. I thought in another really well done scene where they are standing around there, they have that command center, which is behind the captain's chair, which mm-hmm. they use as their kind of impromptu. Let's all stand here and talk for a few minutes about what's going on. And they've done that in various episodes. They do it here. And the captain has revealed to the command crew, we are going to a location in space where we are going to be giving a ship and a pilot to T'Pol. She's going to go do something and we are going to wait. And the rest of the crew responds in kind as the captain did with, Mm -hmm. we have questions. Why won't you share it? But we won't push. We all know T'Pol. I like the fact that in this moment, as opposed to, again, at this point a year ago, early in the series, if T'Pol was given this kind of secret mission, the crew would have been behind her back going to the captain and saying, why are we letting this Vulcan, this Vulcan call the shots? Yes. But this time they're all looking at it as like the first one to offer up suggestion of how to use downtime is Reed, who says, well, I could do some work on the weapons systems. And Trish jokingly yeah. says, like, oh, I could polish all the rails in engineering. Yes. And then at a second moment's thought says, I could do some work on the engines. Well, no, it wasn't a second moment's thought. It was this that moment I loved is the captain just glared yeah. at Trip, like Trip, yeah. knock it off. And then Trip is like, uh, okay, yes, I could find something yeah. to do. I did like the moment of that you're talking about where everybody was just kind of like, okay, they trust to Paul. They know this whole Vulcan kind of craziness goes on, whatever. And they kind of like get beyond that very quickly. And right. I did like how the captain, we've complained about how Trip and Reed in previous episodes have been portrayed in, as like juvenile delinquents at times yeah. in yeah. episodes. <laughs> and so it's like, and there's been kind of hinted that the captain's been kind of cracking the whip, trying to get them more in line. And so right. I liked the look that he gave Trip because it was not a word was spoken. It was just a glare and Trip yeah. knew I just crossed the line. Let me dial this back and say, yes, I can do something. So I thought that yeah. was like a, I don't know if that was a deliberate choice they made in the episode and the directing and the acting of that scene, but that's what I interpreted based on what we've been watching over the course of the past, I don't know, six episodes right. or so. Yeah, I picked up on that too. It was a very nice moment of like the captain understands that in some cases he's going to have to simply squash conversation. Mm-hmm. And in Reed's conversation, in the minefield episode where he said things are a little too loosey-goosey at times yeah and and this is a moment where the captain is like you're not getting more out of me and you don't need to know more and i don't even know more at this point we're also given some glimpses of to paul having some kind of flashbacks mm-hmm. which we see images of jungle and we see a face and it's a face that we know is somebody that she has to go find this all leads to to Paul going to Archer and basically pulling back a curtain. And at this moment, this is now the second big payoff for me in the episode of her going to him and saying, I need somebody I can trust there. Mm-hmm. And his response to be an unequivocal, like, let me know when I need to leave. It's a demonstration of the reciprocity from a few episodes earlier where Archer had said to T'Pol, I want your opinion on this because I value you as a sounding board. He didn't want her to leave the ship at the beginning of this season when she was ostensibly being called back to Vulcan. 
And he argued that I need you. I, I value you here. And this is that moment of her paying that back. I thought that was a very great moment too. Yeah. Yep. So then we're given a nice trio. I wish Mayweather had again. I will say this probably every time he shows up on screen. I wish Mayweather had a little bit more of a voice in this episode, but the fact that he is the main pilot of the Enterprise and now he's being taken on this mission is another demonstration of the seriousness with which T'Pol is handling this. She probably requested that Mayweather be the pilot that she be she be mm-hmm. given. So the three of them plan on going to the location of to Paul's assignment, she reveals to the captain, we are looking for this individual who was a deep agent from Vulcan, along with several dozen others who were going into a planet to expose corruption. And as that corruption was exposed and that government became friendlier to forging an alliance with Vulcan, those agents were then pulled back. But there were a handful who refused to come back. And T'Pol was one of the security agents who was sent in to retrieve these wayward agents. She says all of that very factually. I accept that within the episode, she understands that all to be true. Archer understands that all to be true. But like me, do you see cracks in that story that depict something more nefarious from the Vulcan High Command. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's the way it's all portrayed, these crazy flashbacks she's having, all that kind of stuff. It's it's clear that her memory of this is clouded or not complete and that there's something else afoot. Like her memory's becoming dislodged. So it's like the way the whole her portrayal of it, the flashbacks, all of that stuff sets it up as some this is not as it seems. It was pretty right. clear from the very beginning. It sounds to me like you're talking about within the confines of the episode. I'm talking more about within the bigger picture of this Trek universe at this point. It fits. I get the sense that this is referencing deeper history of were the Vulcans actually there rooting out corruption or were the Vulcans pulling some strings in order to make a friendlier no, government? It's, it's, it's that. It's like th- this has been set up in this entire show of the Vulcans with their spy their listening station that was underneath the the monk like yes thing that they had set that up. was actually that was actually the pajem monastery yes. which comes back in this episode in this so episode we'll talk about that later so but but they've been hinting that the vulcans have been doing a lot of nefarious things that the vulcans do because from a logic point of view it's like they're trying to protect themselves and make sure that their neighbors are behaving properly so it right. doesn't it makes perfect sense that the vulcans would be out there manipulating other races trying to make sure that they were going in a direction that benefited the Vulcans. It makes perfect sense. Right. It's gross, (laughs) but it's clearly they're hinting that the Vulcans are just as nefarious as everybody else has been around the galaxy. They're not, they don't have a clean history. They have a dirty history and we're getting a little hint of that. And to put this into the context of the era in which this episode was produced, the original series storylines all reflected a cold war mentality. Mm Mm-hmm. This episode is produced after 9-11 during an era in which America's influence around the world was not only being called into question, but its actions in that influence were being called into question. We had had things like Iran-Contra, where the U.S. government was swapping weapons with unfriendly countries in order to destabilize certain parts of the world. 
we had 9-11 itself, which was the result of actions from people who decades earlier had been supported by the U.S. in their fight against the Soviet Union. And we had now in 2002, the resurgence of the U.S. concerns around Iraq. Again, Iraq previously an ally in our desire to destabilize Iran. So at this point in 2002, the showrunners are depicting a close Federation ally, the Vulcans, as potentially having had similar Mm -hmm. actions that the U.S. government had had in the decades post-Cold War. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting aspect to this episode. The reconstruction of a Vulcan past that is not philosophically or ideologically pure. It is shadowy at points. So the person that they're pursuing from T'Pol's perspective is the sixth and final member of the group that she had rounded up. And he had been trained in getting into smuggling circles to be able to root out that corruption, but he'd become so good at it that he had, it's effectively, this is almost an apocalypse now storyline. Yep. He, he went native. He became the very thing that he was pretending to be and refused to leave because he had actually been able to put together a fairly successful smuggling operation in which he smuggled chemical and biological weapons. So Archer T'Pol and Mayweather track the fugitive, whose name is Minos, to an ice moon, Pernea Prime. They get to Pernea Prime, and this is where they step fully into Star Wars territory. Yep. I really liked the depiction of Pernea Prime as a place where you don't walk into this place without being prepared for something bad to happen. It's a CD outpost. Yeah. There's, there's clearly like black market trading going on here. There's, it's the low life of the galaxy, stopping by, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> making deals. <laughs> it's the kind of place where if this was a Western, they would have been walking through swinging doors. The piano would have stopped playing and everybody the piano would have stopped playing and everybody would have looked at the door. This, and it's a hodgepodge. I think that the, the makeup department was probably working overtime for this episode. There's more aliens of different types in this scene than I can recall seeing in many episodes of Star Trek. It is a wide array of different looks. I think they also did a little mixing and mashing where it was a Klingon forehead with a Cardassian neck. It was a, like they created a bunch of looks that didn't really fit with known species to really create the idea that the Enterprise crew, when they walk into this room, aren't going to feel safe in any way, mm-hmm. shape, or form. I thought it was extremely effective. They go into this tavern, this CD bar, and they begin to scout out where Minos might be hiding. And T'Pol literally stumbles face-to-face with him while a gigantic alien who's barreling around the bar hither and yon who he does this with T'Pol and he also does it with Archer stepping in the way just basically to yell at people yep he's knocks them to the side he's an angry drunk he knocks (laughs) them to the side and T'Pol loses Minos in the crowd 
which leads to Archer and Mayweather having to help her coordinate and pin him in a corner where they're able to capture him. And now we end up with an interesting sequence, which is them in the corner. Basically, they're told by the the head of this location, who apparently is the closest thing to law enforcement they might have. He looks at their warrant, says it's valid, but says, you got nowhere to go. This is not a jail. I can't help you hold this guy. They were so cleaning, they have to go back doing to something the with acid, but they're doing something yeah. with acid on the landing bay so that nobody can go out to their ships to leave. So it's like yeah. you're, you're stuck here until that's done. It's like I thought it was a fun sequence take to get them to be stuck there for a couple yeah. more hours so that they would have to sit there and just wait. So it's almost the equivalent of them of something from Midnight Run you know, yeah. waiting in a bus station with somebody handcuffed and having to just literally put in time during this. Julian Blaylock's acting, I think, is really excellent in this episode because she is depicting a T'Pol who is quickly falling apart. Yes. She is fraying at the edges in a way that depicts some level of stress that she can't even understand herself. And she begins to have flashbacks, more and more flashbacks as Minos is talking to her about how he is innocent, how he has a family. He shows them a holograph of his family. He's got children. All he does is haul empty injection containers from warp cores and reveals that he's actually sick and dying because of the contaminants in these injection modules. I've got a ship full of them, he says. T'Pol reaches a point where she appears to be ready to cut the guy's throat. She jumps forward and she's got a blade, but she ends up, and I thought this sequence was particularly effective, cuts the straps off of his jacket so that she can wrap them around her boots and run through the acid to get to his ship to investigate it. And when she gets there, she finds nothing but the injection modules. And her breakdown is almost complete at this point. Yes. Yeah, she's clearly lost her mind a little bit. The way she's rummaging through all the spent casings and she's completely unhinged. And this is where it's like, I think across the entire series, I think Julian Blaylock's performance as to Paul it's one of the best on the show. It's like her and the doctor. I just love their performances for their characters. And you know that she was cast because she's a beautiful, sexy woman that they, mm-hmm. we talked in the previous episode. There are some very disgusting, very deliberate Jolene Blaylock butt shots that were clearly just shown to show off her physique. She is so much more than that in her performance yeah. of this character. And this episode was a chance where she was able to kind of like really kind of flex her muscles a little bit, show a little more of her acting chops and the writing i think supported that really well i thought this was a really great portrayal of showing a vulcan who clearly had something done to her that is losing touch with reality a little bit because things are not aligning in her memory in a right in the correct way I and mean, as viewers we're not sure what's going on and for her she's clearly not sure what's going on but this sequence i thought was great with her just kind of losing her mind willing to risk running out on, t- on top of acid <laughs> to yeah. go get an answer to this. I also really liked how they were playing with us as viewers and her character at the same time of making you question what's real because he's laying out a case of, I'm just a guy with a family that's trying to earn a living and I'm spent casings and that's the Vulcan command has been lying. And we know as viewers that the Vulcan command has been lying. So suddenly it's like, what if it, what if this guy is telling the truth? So we start to actually kind of believe his story as viewers as a possibility because it seems 
very possible that this guy is not what he seems. And so I thought it was a really nice play on not just the characters, but us as viewers. Yeah. For the character to have any growth, there has to be change. And for a Vulcan, the idea of change has to be, if you're taking a well-adjusted Vulcan, well, what are they going to change to? Are we going to have a show about a well-adjusted Vulcan that becomes maladjusted? Like that would be terrible as like a hero story, but like Spock, Spock, his story wrestles around the duality of his personality. And how does he marry those two aspects of himself, the human side with the Vulcan side. And with T'Pol, we are given at the beginning what seems like an adjusted Vulcan. And we do get a little bit of destabilization to lead to growth of incorporating those harder parts of the backstory. And this is one such moment Mm -hmm. as she is having these flashbacks and realizes that Minos had a partner. There were not six people that she was supposed to round up. There were seven. Hence the title of the episode. The seventh, she actually already killed. And that's part of the flashback. She keeps having the flashback of chasing Minos and a partner through the jungle of Risa. And when she catches up to the partner, she has a memory of him reaching for a weapon and shooting him. But as she keeps talking to Minos and Minos keeps hammering on the fact that all I want to do is be left alone. I'm not the criminal. They say I am. I'm innocent of other crimes other than being a fugitive. Her memory begins to shift and the weapon that he's reaching for begins to disappear from her memory. And she begins to question, did I murder an innocent man? And she basically logically deduces that she must have undergone a process called Thalara, mm-hmm. which is a treatment of outside Vulcans, not just the individual themselves, but outside Vulcans helping the Vulcan with a memory that is undesirable and causing emotional turmoil to force that memory so deep and hide it so well that it's no longer existent for the the Vulcan undergoing this treatment. To Paul now realizes she's undergone this. I think it's a really great callback that she mm-hmm. underwent this at Pajem, which then ties into not only the fact that Pajem was the location of the listening station that the Vulcans had hidden in order to spy on Andoria, but it reveals a little bit more retroactively of her response to Pajem when they go yeah. and visit uninvited. Why is she so somewhat protective about Pajem? Yeah. Pajem has this intense personal relationship to her, even at the time, even if at the time she didn't recognize why. So she is dealing with basically false memory issues. She's unable to trust herself, linking right back to her reasons for bringing Archer along. She needed somebody she could trust. There's a sequence where Manos is able to get away. He's able to, he starts a fire in the, the place where they are while Archer and T'Pol are talking outside about the fact that she is, is losing it and Archer is showing his concern for her. Minos starts a fire and in the midst of the chaos of the fire, He's able to get away from them, but they apparently beat him back to his own ship and they are on his ship looking around when Mayweather is told to go into the, the pilot's area and 
get life support going because the ship is so cold. And when he does that, he identifies something which isn't showing up on their sensors, but it's clearly got high energy output. And the captain very casually says, well, let's see what it does when I turn it off. And when he turns it off, turns out there is a hidden smuggling compartment in the ship. Minos is hiding inside of it. And now we have an action sequence, which it's fine. Like yeah. there's nothing the, about it, it that stood out as like, this is the best part of the episode, but it gets the job like, done. It gets the job done. Yeah. Cut to the end of the chase when they are out on the platform to Paul is watching Minos run away. She is still conflicted. She has a shot. Archer is standing with her and Archer says, you need not to judge him. You just need to bring him in. And she says, I no longer trust myself. I needed you here because I trust you. And he says, then trust me when I say you need to simply bring him in. And she shoots Minos, knocking him out. They tie him up. And after they've done all of that, Mayweather then finds a storage compartment filled with the biotoxins that it was suspected Minos was smuggling all along. So the stories he's told, the emotional manipulation he's tried to play, all of that is as Archer claimed, like this guy is going to say and do anything in order to get away. But all of that is turned out to be fraudulent, that Minos is in fact the criminal that the Vulcan high command claimed he was. That, that whole storyline I thought was superb. I do want to bring up the B storyline a little bit. With yeah, the there's a little bit of, yeah, there's a little bit of a comedic <laughs> trombone playing in the background. Yeah. And, and even though it has issues, I did like it because it's trip is clearly going on a power trip. He yeah. has, he brings Reed and uh, the doctor into the captain's mess to have a acting captain's yeah. breakfast or lunch or whatever yeah. it is. Because like, you know, bring us our food. And he comes in and it's like, oh boy, oh trip. Here's the juvenile delinquent coming out again. Yeah. But what I liked about it was he never got to enjoy his meal. He got a yeah. taste of what it like, what it's like to be a captain. He keeps having everybody radioing to him or asking him like, we need approval on X, Y, or Z. And they're big decisions that have to be made. And he keeps trying to put it off. I thought it was nice of, he is acting a little bit of like, oh, the captain's got it easy. And it's like, well, no, you're getting a taste of what it's like to be the captain. Right. And I also really enjoyed the moment where he had to basically lie to the Vulcans right. <laughs> when they showed up. The yeah. entire sequence I thought was hysterical because the captain is trying to get a hold, uh, the Vulcan captain is trying to get a hold of Archer and he goes on camera to pretend to pretend to be Archer. And so he gets on camera. While saying, also hey, not actually saying he's Archer. Yeah, he's being it's very well coy done. about it. And when the, ca- the Vulcan captain says to him, you're younger than I thought you would be. I loved his response of healthy living. <laughs> He's like yeah. uncomfortable, not knowing what to say. Yeah. But yeah. all of that was just so that the Vulcan captain could deliver the message of uh, a sports score from right. from water polo on Earth. And the cap- the Vulcan captain had no idea what it was about. And then the trip immediately realizes how this was all a, n- no big deal at all. And it's like it was just a very funny moment about delivering sports scores and his whole charade of being the captain i thought it was it was well done i thought it was fun but not perfect but it was it was just the right amount of levity that the show needed yeah trips trips little breaks give a comedic breathing room yeah the otherwise the the constant tension of to paul's breakdown effectively 
Yeah. And and discovering that she has had a procedure done. I also like that the aspects of the procedure that were done to her, it's not clear if at the time she was actually fully endorsing having that procedure done. Right. It is a lot of flashbacks that look like torment and torture of these monks working with her to help suppress these memories. But when all of that has now been unleashed, Archer and she end the episode with a, another very nice sequence <laughs> where he says, you are going to have to take a page from our book and simply live with the hurt of this and then move forward from it. You aren't going to be able to simply cover it up and remove it, that the turmoil of this is going to affect you and it's going to be difficult. He offers her, offers her time away from the ship. She refuses. And then she ends the episode in what I think is an extremely touching yes. line where she says to him, if you ever need anybody you can trust, you can trust in me. That they have now started the episode with a stronger relationship than they had a year earlier and have ended the episode with an even, even stronger. stronger relationship than the beginning. So yeah. I think that this episode does a great job of depicting what their relationship, what the, what the bedrock of their relationship has become. And I think that's extremely well rendered, especially considering just a few episodes ago, we had an extremely silly and awkward moment of flocks telling Archer, I think you've got repressed sexual desire for T'Pol and T'Pol coming to him and saying, it's a good thing you're my commanding officer. Otherwise we'd be trying to get it on. Yeah. All of that seemed completely out of left field. This is where their relationship is. This is the strength of their relationship. Yeah. So I really appreciated this. I made the same note in my final notes of the episode where I loved that if you ever need somebody you can trust, I thought that was the perfect way to end the episode because as you pointed out, their relationship is now stronger than it was at the beginning. And it's, this is, these are the kind of episodes of Star Trek that I really gravitate towards are the ones that have really good, strong character development. And if the yeah. plot has plot holes or weirdness about it, I can forgive those if it's got a good, solid character development, a character arc for the characters we've been growing to love and enjoy watching. And for this, yeah. this episode was well executed, had a good plot, not a ton of plot holes. So on a whole, it was well done. And then the emotional arc I thought was excellent. So I thought this was a very, very strong episode. I agree. But our listeners and our viewers on YouTube you should all let us know what you think about all of this. Did you agree that this was a great step forward for the two characters? Was there something in this episode that you thought was missing? And I'm interested, do our listeners agree that this is showing fractures in our understanding of the Vulcans and that we see the beginnings of some somewhat nefarious aspects to their governing body? Matt, before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners about that you have going on? To check out our other podcast, Still to be Determined, which is follow-up episodes to my YouTube channel, where we kind of go over user uh, viewer comments and Sean's own thoughts on the subjects. It's a fun little follow-up to my YouTube channel. As for me, you can check out my website, seanfarrell.com. You can also look for my books on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, your local library, any bookstore near you. They should all be available there. Thank you so much for your interest if you do so. Remember, there are ways to directly support the podcast. You can visit trekintime.show and there's an opportunity there to throw coins at us. And 
if you're on YouTube, you can scroll below the video and you'll find the join button and you can become a member there. If anybody has any comments, corrections, please do reach out. You can find the contact information in the podcast notes on YouTube. You just scroll directly below the video, of course, to the comment section. Please do remember to subscribe and to like the episode. Matt, next time we're going to be talking about the episode, The Communicator. Any predictions? What will we be talking about? We're probably going to be talking about a communicator. (laughs) Mm. Very good. (laughs) The entire episode is just 48 minutes of looking at a communicator. Exactly. (laughs) Every now and then. I could be, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but how could you be wrong? I, I mean, come on, please remember to subscribe, to like the episode, share it with your friends. All of that really does help the channel and do come back next time. Thanks so much for listening, everybody.